All right, we're going to start. <clears throat> we're doing, um, Mother's Day was uh, last week, so we're, we're doing a, a lead-in series to another series that, and uh, I really felt the Lord telling me to put do this before we do that, and so uh, the this is uh, a series called Revelation of Truth, and it's, it's really just uh, like a primer. Um, it's understanding uh, basic spiritual and theological concepts that Christians need to know. And uh, these are kind of cornerstone beliefs, so to speak, of our faith. And this series is going to lead into another series that is uh, a, kind of a build-off off of this. And it's important because there's a lack of understanding on basic concepts. And while this isn't like kind of like foundations, it's a little bit different. It's, we're going down a little bit different lanes. Um, it is important to understand these things. So two weeks ago, we talked about God and who he is and why he is. And today, uh, next slide, we're going to talk, we're going to, this week and next week, because uh, I couldn't get it all in this week, and you know me, like I dump like a lot of, a lot of content in there. So I like fire hose you for 40 minutes, and then I, uh, you know, and then you just kind of walk away and just go, what happened? You know? Uh, hey, Cher, would you hit the white? The white on the tab? The tablet? The white button? Boom. Let there be white. There it is. And so today we're going to talk about the devil. <gasps> and then we're going to, but ultimately the goal is not to talk about the devil. The goal is to get you to understand believers' authority, who you are in Christ and who he is and what's going on. And why is this important? It's very important for the Christian to understand where destruction comes from. It's very important to understand where evil comes from. And oftentimes we ascribe evil unto the Lord. Evil does not come from the Lord. It does not come from him. The consequences of evil and the consequences of sin, are th that is where evil comes from. And sin ultimately had its origins in a fallen angel whose name formerly was Lucifer. One of the things this, this fallen angel does, and this is common, I find, is common oftentimes with Christians, is they ascribe evil to the Lord. They tell it, oh, God's doing this to me, or God did that to me, and they shake their fist at God, and they don't have a concept or a grid or an understanding of where sin actually comes from. I'm going to give you Theology 101, real basic, right? This is as simple as it gets. We're going to say it together. Everybody say, ready? Good God, bad devil. Okay, there you go. That's that, if you can get that basic concept, good God, bad devil. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. So all the goodness comes from the Lord. Evil is the consequence of a fallen being who invoked our race into an alliance with him. And that produced death. And in that alliance that we made with this fallen being, we inherited his nature. That's why when you come to Christ... You get Jesus' nature. Why do we need Jesus' nature? Because we have a fallen nature apart from Jesus. So we're going to talk about this being. I, I, don't like get, I don't like even saying his name. And so just for those of you who are grammatically correct, I never capitalize devil and I never capitalize Satan. So it's like I'm not, I, just, I, I wouldn't even put the word up there if I didn't have to. But, um, you know, so just to give you know, you're like, wait a minute, dude, your capitalization's wrong and you missed a comma. The third word should, I, you know, I, anyway, so... Ah, oh, you can laugh. It's all right. Because we're all in agreement. Because we're all in agreement. 
Uh, to understand what Jesus has done, where destruction comes from, why it happens, what Jesus has done, what Christ has accomplished, this is the ultimate goal, this isn't going to all happen today, but what has Jesus done for us, who we are, and what our role is now because of what Jesus has done. So in 2 Corinthians 2.11 it says, we are not to be outwitted by Satan. How are we not to be outwitted by Satan? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Bible tells us, for we are not ignorant of him or his designs. So in order for the Christian to have proper understanding, we cannot be ignorant of the devil, they're partying in there, or of his designs. Sunday fun day, I'm telling you, it's happening. So we're not to be ignorant of who he is, and we're not to be ignorant of the way that he works. This name, this word Satan, you want the definitions, it means slanderer. So you can get a good idea of what he does. He likes to slander. He likes to say bad things. He likes to twist things. He likes to take truth and misalign it. That's what devil means. It means to malign. You ever been maligned? You ever had somebody tell you something, say something about you that was completely not true? Huh? <laughs> All the time. It's a malignment. It was where you are maligned, which means to be misaligned. And that's what the enemy does. And he does this with Christians all the time. He takes truth and misaligns it. A maligned truth is not the truth of God. God does not give sickness and disease. That is a maligned truth. It's not true. God does not give poverty. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is a maligned truth. Truth, truth Jesus, the devil takes a truth and misaligns it. And then what we do is we align with a misalign. That's what happens. So where did he come from? So he slanders. He likes to twist things. He likes to turn things. He likes to speak evil. He likes to create division. This is what he does. He does nothing else. So if you're wondering if he takes a vacation, he doesn't. He does it 24-7. He's an eternal being. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't need to go on a cruise, right? He doesn't go out to dinner all day long. He's looking for slander. He's looking to misalign, and he's looking to be, and he, the other word is enemy. He's your enemy. He's not your friend. Ever. Ever. He's not your friend. So where did this devil come from? So and this is, again, to understand your scripture, which we as Christians, we are people of the book. We are Christites. Jesus is the word, so we should understand our word, and we should not just understand the word. We should understand the concepts that the word is teaching. We should understand the background and the heart behind what the Bible's teaching. It's not enough to just ch quote chapter and verse. You have to understand intent. You have to understand heart. It has to be aligned. All scripture must be aligned with the goodness of God. All of it. I'll give you a quick story. I was at, uh, man, last week it was like ministry week. I don't know. It was like, poof. everywhere I went, it was like, boom, 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 ministry encounter. I mean, it was just like crazy. I was talking to a guy, another, another recovering guy. Guy was in recovery program. Um, uh, we live near one. We, we've always lived near a recovery program, Sherry. Wherever we've lived, we've, uh, there's been a recovery program like down the street. <laughs> and so we were, um, uh, we were at a recovery thing, and a guy was telling me, and he's like, look, I'm a Christian, you know, and I've fallen away from the Lord. And he starts telling me all this stuff. And he says, um, uh, though they put their hand to the plow, look back, are not worthy of the kingdom. And as a dog returns to its vomit, um, so does a fool to his folly. And he was quoting these verses against himself in self-condemnation. And I told him, you're misaligning those verses. I said, while those verses are true, you're misapplying them. I said, let me, let me give you two ways of hearing that verse. Those who put their hand to the plow and look back are not worthy of the kingdom. You see the condemnation? 
Watch this. Those who put their hand on the plow and look back, you're living apart from your worth. You're not living according to your value. Oh, big difference there. As a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to its folly. Why are you continually doing foolish things? That's what the Bible's doing. It's not speaking these things in condemnation. You see how the misalignment of the word? You see how the, the devil takes what God says and misaligns it? You see how he takes what God says and slanders with it? That's what he does. That's what he does. And the problem is, is true, Christians oftentimes buy into the lie. Where did he come from? This is theological concept. There's the eternal world, the world that was, the world that is, and the world that is to come. Where are we in this timeline? We're in the world that is. The eternal world. So next slide. This is where the devil came from. The eternal world is timeless. There is a realm beyond this one. The realm that created this world is beyond this one. The eternal world created this world. The Bible says that the things that are seen are created by the things that are not seen. The eternal world, the realm of God, created the world of time and space. In the eternal world, it's timeless. There is no time. It's eternal. You don't get old. Hello. Right? It's endless joy, endless, all things endless. Endless. What's that like? I don't know. I was born into time and space. I, don't, I wear a watch. That's all I know is time, right, and space. This is, in this timeless world, there's a God who's a trinity. If you don't understand that, last week we talked about that. This God, triune God named Elohim, creates a race of beings. These race of beings, and not to get into all of the dynamics of angels, but he creates a race of beings. They're segmented. There's different categories, of course, but just to give you a general idea, he creates a race of beings that are called angels. Why did he create them? He created them for these reasons, to be witnesses, number one, they are his witnesses. Because God is so great, can I get a witness? Right? That's how he is. He's so awesome. He's like, can I get a witness? And so he, gets, he creates these angels to be witnesses of his glory. They're witnesses of the gospel, the Bible says. What Jesus did, the angels are scratching their head going, what, what was that? It says the things that the angels desire to understand, the gospel, they don't understand why Christ came and died for us. They understand it, but they witnessed it. They witnessed it. They witnessed God create the world. So, not, so God created them as witnesses. He created them as messengers. He created them as servants. That is their role. Their role was designed for these reasons. They are completely different than us. Similar, but yet profoundly different. Here's where God creates the world. This is found in the book of Job, not Genesis. Job's, of course, the context of this. Job's boasting, oh, I know this, and I know that, and I'm so smart, and this is who God is, and this is what God is. And all of his friends, of course, are sitting down explaining the nature of God to Job so that Job understands. And God shows up and goes, what do you know of me? You speak as fools. What do you know of me? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there? Do you know how to do that? Does anybody in the room know how to lay the foundations of the earth? Uh, no, no, don't know that one. No, <laughs> I can lay the foundation of the house, but, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so he goes, Where, what were the earth's foundations set upon? And who put the cornerstones in place? In other words, he's saying, when I created the time, when I created time and space, were you there? Answer, no. And he says, this is also what happened. When I created time and space, because he created the stars first, he said the stars started singing. And not only did the stars sing, the angels shouted for joy. So we see that the angels were there when God created time and space. They witnessed the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus ultimately is the one who built it. That's what the Bible says. All things were created by him and for him. So Jesus does the wonder of creating time and space. And the Bible tells us that the angels were present 
So they are eternal beings created before us. They are created. They predate us. What were the angels created to be? Not only witnesses, but messengers and ministers. Hebrews 1.14. All the angels are spirits to do what? Serve the Lord. And to do what? Sent forth to, receive, to, to minister to those who will receive salvation. So God creates a world of time and space. He creates these witnesses. He creates time and space. He creates us. Now these angelic beings are his servants, and they are sent forth to minister to us. You say we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. God is a delegating God. He delegates his authority. That's what he does. Everybody's like, God's sovereign. Yeah, God's sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he delegates authority. You and I have had delegated authority. What it means is, is when God gives a delegated authority, it's nothing going to happen until the delegated authority does something. If the delegated authority doesn't do anything, nothing's going to happen. That's a whole other concept. But God delegates authority amongst the angels. He delegates authority. They are sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. That's, again, a bigger concept, than, but I'm just trying to give you a general overview of what angels are. They witness creation. They are assigned to serve the creation. There's a structure, there's an order, and there's a hierarchy within the angelic world. They're what are called archangels. So you mean to tell me that God has a hierarchy? Yes, he does. You mean to tell me that God has an order? Yes, he does. That's a, that's a foreign concept in our world. We're teaching in our colleges and our universities and our culture that everybody's equal, that no one should be in charge. Really? Ants have a leader. Bees have a leader. Birds have a leader. You ever see the birds flying south? I mean, you ever see that? Everything God created has an order, a structure, and a hierarchy. But it's different than our hierarchy. Sin has caused us to use our rulership to dominate. The hierarchy of the kingdom is servitude. So the higher you are on the food chain, the lower you are in servitude. So the more authority you have, the more you are responsible to serve. Jesus is God himself come down in the flesh, and he said, I am among you as one who serves. In other words, I don't have, there's no hierarchy higher than mine. You ain't going to get no higher than me. I'm a throne and a name above every name. There's not a name now ever be that's going to be greater than me. There's no throne, no dominion, no power that's ever going to be greater than mine. And so if you think you got it all together and you can't serve, you don't understand me at all. That's the hierarchy of the kingdom. The angels, while giving a hierarchy, were required to serve. That's the point. Next slide. Christianity is all about servitude. It's all about servitude. That's what it's about. I'm the pastor I should serve, which means I get tired and I do it when I'm tired. That's what it means with servitude. So we teach you an EMT. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter if you're tired and servant. If you want a servitude and you want leadership in the kingdom, it does not matter. That's not, it doesn't matter. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. You know how many times I serve and don't feel like it? Say, what do you want, a badge? No. I'm trying to model for you the, 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 uh, the, the way the kingdom works kingdom doesn't work off convenience you want leadership in the kingdom of god you pick up the bowl and the towel that's what it looks like you serve S hierarchy comes through servitude it's a system of thirds the angelic kingdom was divided into thirds the bible mentions three archangels we have one called lucifer we have one called michael and we have one called gabriel those are the only angels mentioned by name in the bible and each one of them appears to be ruler over a third. So God divides his angelic army into a third. Lucifer, whose name means light bearer, um, got tired of serving. He got tired of serving. He said, I'm not down with this whole servitude thing. I'm better than this. Ain't nobody needs to do you, Do you know who I am? Did, did you believe that this church asked me to take out the trash? Could you believe that? Do you know what spirit you're of? 
Do you have any idea what spirit you're of? You're of the spirit of the devil. That's not the spirit of the Father. That's not the spirit of the Son. Jesus said gladly. Jesus ministered to people to the point of exhaustion. He got done ministering to people, got on a boat, and passed out. We'd call him a workaholic in our day. But that's how he served the people. He served the people until he could go no more. Just saying. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm a teacher. I'm anointed of God. Do you know how much knowledge I have? And you asked me to take out the trash? Yep. Do you know how much ministry training I've had? And you asked me to go through EMT? Yep. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Because that's the very thing we want to see. Do you have that nature? Do you have the nature that I'm better than this? Well, that's not what we're looking for. That, sir, that attitude will not carry forward. You may be gifted. You might be able to walk in the room, and your very presence might bust the lights. Pfft, whoa. There's an anointing on you so great, people slip and fall when they're around you. But if you can't serve, it means nothing. Anointing is given. Character is developed. Lots of Christian leaders, pastors, and servants carry anointing, but they have no character. And we can't associate it. We think because someone has an anointing, they carry character. Not true. Not true at all. God gives the anointing. Aren't you glad? The anointing is given, but character must be developed. And how is character developed? Through servitude, humility, humility, humbling yourself beneath what you think you're worthy of. That's what he, I'm above this. I'm above nothing. You need the toilet. I was cleaning toilets back there, so, you know, because we had a ministry night last night. <laughs> I'm not above cleaning the toilets, and neither should you be. Jesus isn't above cleaning the toilets. I didn't go and find someone. Oh, hey, we need to clean a toilet. Could you get back there and clean the toilet? I wash my hands, so don't worry. You know, don't worry about that. I'm like, oh, man, the pastor shook my hand. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody do a, do, do, a, do a test on me. <laughs> I got to move. Anyway, Lucifer, how you are fallen from heaven, O morning star. Isaiah, tw Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 are the two prophetic declarations over the fall of this angel. You're cast down. You once laid the nations. Why? Why was he cast down? Because you said in your heart, I'm better than this. I will ascend to the heavens. I'm better than this. I'm better than God. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. You know what man inherited when we inherited Lucifer's nature? Pride. Selfish, self-exaltation, self-seeking, pride. This is the nature of man because he has fallen. The nature in Christ is completely different. There's the nature of pride right there. I'm better than this. I will a throne. I will rule the assembly. I will sit upon the mountain. I will ascend beyond the clouds. I'm going to be the rock star. I will make myself like the most high. Lord's like... No, I don't think it's going to happen. You will be brought down to the realm of the dead, to the lowest pits of the earth. The Bible says who, if we humble ourselves, the Lord will exalt us. If we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. That's the ultimate humbling right there. Next slide. I'm not going to read you all this, but if you want to read it later, you can read it. It's basically talking about how he was made. The devil was a seal of perfection. He was very beautiful. He was the most beautiful of all the angels, Right? If there was a men's health issue and it needed a cover boy, an angel cover boy, Lucifer was your guy, right? He had the abs, he had the biceps, you know, probably had, you know, whatever was cool, he had it. He was a seal of beauty and perfection. He was in the Eden, he was in the garden. That's where we tied into Genesis. He was made with stones. 
lapis, azul, diamonds. He was made with musical instruments inside of him. Timbrels were inside of his being. So Lucifer would just be like, you guys need a radio? Music would come out of him. He was the minister of music in heaven. That's why they say when Satan fell, he fell into the choir. That's why everybody wants to sing a solo. Crickets, crickets. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Nothing wrong with singing. He began to merchandise what he was. He began to think he was more than what he was. And he began to spread it around and create a rebellion against God. That's what this chapter is saying. Next slide. He got tired of serving, and his heart turned, and he led those who were with him astray. Ha <laughs> ha. He came into the garden of God. He deceived the woman and caused the man to rebel. The woman didn't know what she was doing because Adam hadn't properly instructed her. So she, didn't really, she wasn't really clear on the whole thing. It was Adam's job to, to help her understand the things of God because God was talking at that time to directly to Adam and he was to bring the woman along into this relationship. But the Bible says the man knew exactly what he was doing. So the woman sinned in ignorance, the man sinned in knowledge. And so guess what we get? We inherit sin of ignorance and we inherit sin of knowledge. So we sin and we don't even know what we're doing. And then we sin and we know exactly what we're doing. Don't say it, don't say it. Oh, I'm gonna say it. <laughs> yeah, come on. That's why we need a savior. We need Jesus. Why is this important? Because God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the creation. Who was given authority over the creation? Who? The man and the woman. They were given, God delegates authority. Say it with me. God delegates authority. He's in charge of everything, but he gives the rulership to the man and the woman. You say, God could have stopped it. Yeah, he could have, but he wouldn't. Why? Because he had delegated the authority. Do we understand that? What, Jesus didn't see? The devil coming into the garden, he couldn't have went, Shazam, here I am. No, that's not going to happen. I'm in charge here. He didn't. Because he had given the authority to the man and the woman. They were responsible and in charge of the realm and the dominion that God had given them. This is huge. Lucifer had no authority at all until it was given to him. He couldn't do a thing until he got the man and the woman to agree. Couldn't, because he had no authority. His words had no creative power whatsoever. He had no authority over the man and the woman until he could get them to give it to him. They gave him the authority. And he became what the Bible calls the God of this world, little g, ruler of this world. Adam and Eve fall, Satan and his angels now become God of the world. Up until Christ, you see it with Jesus. Jesus didn't deny it. All the kings of the world are mine. I give them to whoever I please. Fall down and worship me, and they're yours. I know why you came, Jesus. I know who you are. But you don't have to die for these people. You want to rule the world? I'll give you the rulership of the world. Just worship me. Jesus didn't go, you're not in charge here. I am. Nope. He said, you are in charge. He didn't say it, but he didn't deny Lucifer's claim. Lucifer's claim of inheritance upon the earth. Why did Lucifer have an inheritance? Because our ancestors gave it to him. Okay? Adam served his word rather than the voice and the word of the Father. This is huge. Adam and Eve served the voice of the fallen one 
rather than the voice of truth. This is why God, when he comes in the garden, he says, we're naked and afraid. And what's the father say? Who told you that? Whose voice have you been listening to besides mine? And when listening to the voice apart from truth, they misaligned and they aligned with him. And they yielded themselves to his authority. They yielded themselves to his word and coming under his dominion. And with that, we got everything that comes with the package. We got sin. We got death. We got sickness. We got disease. We got suffering. We got pain. None of those things are of the Father. None of them. Sin is not of the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness is. Death is not of the kingdom of heaven. Life is. Sickness is not of the kingdom of heaven. Healing is. Dis-ease is not of the kingdom. Comfort and wholeness is. Pain, not there. Suffering, not there. There's no tears in heaven. Any crying going on in heaven, the Bible says Jesus wipes them away. He's like, what are you crying for? Look around you. Huh? That's how it works. None of those things are of the Father. We cannot ascribe evil to a good God. Ever. Ready? Let's say it again. Good God. Bad devil. All right. So is the devil and, is devil and God equal? No. This is where we misunderstand it. We think the devil and God are equal because we see the, you know, all, well, how did he get authority? He got authority. The devil's, we're more equal, we're, more e we're closer to an angel than God is. God is far and away greater than him. But we gave away our authority and the enemy came in and took it. He knew what he was doing. What did Jesus do? Next slide. Next slide. My wife is so engrossed. I, think, I love her. She's just riveted. I love you, Sherry. She's going she's totally, she's to punch me. She's like, you talk about me on the stage, and I don't get to say anything. She told me that the other day. I was like, I'm going to punch you. She's going to lay fists on me here. Man. Jesus came as a man as the last Adam to do what? To defeat the devil as a man. He came by himself, in case you didn't get it. So God didn't need an army. He came by himself as a man. He rose up as a man. He ascended as a man. Everything he did, he did in human flesh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why? To redeem man, to take the curse off of man. So that now when we're in him and we align with his word, we inherit what he has and we don't inherit what the devil offers. He receipts man in spiritual authority. Jesus isn't in charge of this world right now. Crickets. Crickets. Do you know who's in charge? Nope. You. Me. All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. You, therefore, go. What is it? They say it's the Great Commission. It's the Great Recommissioning. Christ got all the power back, and he has given it unto the church. You have authority. I have authority. Africa's problems will not be solved by political process. The church has been given the power and the responsibility to do it. The city's problem will not be solved by, by political process. The church is the divine government upon the earth through the believer. This is the truth. We're waiting back, sitting back waiting for God to do something. That's why the Bible says you're a body. We are his hands and his feet. What is that, a poem? Right? What if you're sitting on a couch and your head goes, man, I'm really hungry. I, wish, I just wish a sandwich would just fly over to me from the refrigerator. You know, I'm just waiting. What are you waiting on? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm waiting for my head to get up and go and, you know, get me a sandwich. Well, if your feet don't move and your hand don't move, nothing's going to happen. We understand that? 
That's the way it is. Your mind can go, man, I really want, I really want. Jesus is the head, but we are the body. If we don't go and move, nothing happens. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. You say, that's why people go, well, does God not care? Of course the Lord cares. Do you care? That's the point. We always cast it off on the Lord as if he doesn't care. Jesus cares. But he says, do you care? Do you care enough to pray? Do you care enough to serve? Do you care enough to sacrifice? Do you care enough to believe me and step into power and do what you, can, what you never thought you could do before? Do you care enough to endure the hardships until you reach what I told you you could have? Do you care? Oh, no, I'm waiting for Jesus to just show up on my doorstep. And you know what he does? Jesus shows up on your doorstep. And you know what he's wearing? Anybody know what he's wearing? Work clothes. Jesus shows up on the doorstep wearing work clothes. He's like, let's get to work. And we're like, oh, man. Dude, you got dickies on. That does not look good. What's the wrench in your back pocket for, Jesus? Ah, man, I know. Come on, man. Nah, I'm not ready for work. I'm going back to bed. Ouch. Crickets. <laughs> then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, now has come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of God. When does the power and the kingdom come? Because Jesus has defeated the devil. Now is the kingdom of God. Now is the dominion and the rule of God. Now. Because the accuser of the brethren is a strike down, for he accused us before our God night and day, and they overcame him, that's us, by what? The word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. He is defeated and he still operates. We're going to talk more about the believer's authority next week. You have a responsibility. I had a two-hour conversation with a woman one time, right over there in the corner, who wanted to tell me and blame God for every single thing going on on the planet. Oh, God's sovereign. This is why it's the way it is, because God's sovereign. I said, is he sovereign over rape? So every rape that's happening in the world today, is God in charge of that? Well, of course she wouldn't answer that. I said, all of the people dying of famine and poverty in the world, is God in charge of that? Of course she wouldn't answer that. I said, you know who's in charge of that? You and me. We have the power of God. We're lazy. We're lazy. We're lazy. You say, no, I want to, but we're lazy. We don't even press into our destiny. We don't even acknowledge who we are and start to press in because it requires work. If you're going to become who God has called you to be, it's called metamorpho. It's like coming out of a shell. You have to die. You literally say, I'm a new creation in Christ, but you're not fully formed. Not fully formed until you start pressing into destiny. You press into destiny, it's, it, it's, they use the word chrysalis. It's like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. It's a fight. For that butterfly, that, that caterpillar to be formed into a caterpillar, it's a fight. It's a fight. It's what it is. You have to press in to become who you are. It's not easy, and you're given golden opportunities to quit. You all, the devil will offer you an opportunity to quit to the left, to the right. He'll bring it to you on a golden platter. Say, how do you know this? Because I've seen it so many times. He comes to me. He's given me more opportunities to quit than I can count. He comes with a band. Blowing horns. Got a cake for you, Kevin. Woo! Man, you gave it the college try. You gave it all. You should just quit. We're going to celebrate it. Nobody's got anything to say about it. You did it, Val. No one can point a finger at you, man. Jeez, you tried. Just give up. Just throw in the towel. You did everything that you could do. You know what your Bible tells you? Oh, you ready? You ready? Here comes the truth. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful all the way through. You serve the Lord, you take a blood oath. I had a guy one time telling me to, to shut this church down years ago. He said, you're driving a bus without brakes. I talked to a friend of mine. He said, thank God. 
We need churches in this kingdom that, have, that drive. We need pastors in this kingdom that are willing to drive a bus that doesn't have any brakes on. Thank God. You got a bus, you're driving a bus here, you don't have any brakes. Might want to come on. I told the guy, I, I prayed about it. I, told, I called him up. This guy in Oregon. I said, look, I take a blood oath. I see the gospel as a blood oath. It means I bleed white before I quit. That's what it means. You bleed white before you quit. You do not quit. The cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that tell you? Don't quit. Oh, I got all these excuses. Don't we all? Don't we all? How many excuses do you have to quit on your marriage? You got a lot. How many excuses you got to quit on your kids? You got a lot. How many excuses do you have to quit on yourself? You got a lot. You have a lot. It's always too soon to quit. Don't quit. They that draw back, my soul has no pleasure in. What does God say? I don't like quitters. Back up, figure it out, go again. Back up, look to me, go again. I tried seven times. Have you tried 70 times seven in one day? Have you tried 490 times in one day? Well, then you haven't tried according to the gospel standard. Keep going. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. What does the devil do? I got a rock because we got communion. This is going to be fast. Buckle up. He's defeated, but he still operates. He has no authority unless it's given. None. He works now, the Bible says, in the sons and daughters of disobedience. He works through disobedience. So those that do not have Christ are still under his rule. Those who are in Christ, while he does not govern you eternally because you belong to the Father, he can govern you in this world through your disobedience. God is not inheriting evil upon you. Evil comes through it comes through evil people. This is, how, this is how it happens. It comes through a fallen world. It comes through a bad devil. It comes through other evil people doing evil things to you. Huh? Anybody know what that's like? And it comes through your own stupid choices. God has nothing to do with any of that. What God does is he gives you a promise. He's like, look, I know you guys are going to go through some junk. This is the promise to his people. But I will work everything out to your good. God works all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Why does he say that? Because he knows we're going to go through some stuff. <laughs> what does the enemy do? He has no authority unless we give it to him. The first thing he does is he questions what is true. Is that true? Did God really say he's going to prosper you? Did God really say he's going to heal you? Is that what God said? Did he really say that? I don't know. Look at your reality. Reality and truth are two different things, people. Two different things. What is real and what is true are completely different. We are people of truth, not reality. My reality says I'm not blessed. Your truth says you're blessed in all ways. Press into the blessing until truth comes into the world. Hello. When we question and act upon what is not true, we give authority to something that has no authority without us. There is no authority over you at all unless you give it. Unless you give it. There's no power over you unless you give it. You are free. Cristo rompe las cadenas. He's broken the chains. Next slide. He entices choices. The enemy entices choices. So he questions truth. He, he doesn't make the choice for you. Huh? He puts a stake in front of you to see you're hungry. Oh, the devil made you do it. He didn't make you do it. A man is led away by his own selfish desires, the Bible says. So the issue is to refine our desires, to deal with what's wrong with us in order that that desire is gone. That's, again, another teaching. There's like layers of teaching in this sermon. And I keep wanting to jump off on it. And I'm like, no, get back over here. He doesn't make the choice. We are led away. But what he does is he entices you. He entices you. So you have to be aware that 
He's enticing you. He accuses. This is another big one. Who does he accuse you? He accuses you to you. Do you know that? If you are a child of God. So he said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God. What do you mean, if he is the Son of God? What happened? Jesus came out of the water. He was baptized. He just had his prophetic declaration, his prophetic destiny called upon him by heaven. That was what that was. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Son came down as a man, humbled himself beneath heaven, and heaven declared his authority. Heaven prophetically declared who he was. And immediately he goes into the wilderness. And what is he challenged on? His prophetic destiny. If you are the Son of God. What do you mean if he is the Son of God? The heavens just opened. The dove came down. The voice thundered from heaven. He is the Son of God. But he began to question his identity. You're a son and daughter. Huh? Do you question your identity? Heaven isn't questioning your identity. If you really were a Christian, you wouldn't have did that. If you really were a Christian, you wouldn't have said that. You would have gave up that parking space. If you really were a Christian, you wouldn't have pushed past that old lady to get in line at the buffet. If you really were a Christian. <laughs> you are a Christian. He accuses you to you. He accuses God to you. Look what God is doing. I just told a person this week. I go, the enemy does all this calamity, and then he goes, look what God did. Look what God is doing to you. If he loved you, this wouldn't be happening to you. Things would be going better for you. Look what he's doing. Why? He's accusing the Father to you. And I don't have time to jump off on that, but I, can't, I could. He causes relational division. He accuses God to you. He brings evil and accuses God for it. He offends, which means to push back. This is a big one. He's always looking to offend. Because in an offense, he has a hook. If he can get you offended, he's got a hook in you because you're offended. He causes relational division. Huh? How come relationships can't be healed? Because somebody has been offended. Why do Christians leave churches? <gasps> I'm offended. I'm offended. We leave because you're offended. Who's doing that? Is the father doing that? No. Who's doing that? Who's causing division? These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven the Lord hates. The seventh one, those that cause division among brothers. Anyone who causes division on any level is not of God. Not of God. And I said that if Jesus has put you in relationship with whoever, do not let anyone talk you out of it. If this is a God-ordained relationship, and trust me, they are, they're destiny-oriented relationships, you should never allow anyone to talk you out of it. The enemy's trying to talk you out of critical relationships. Why? Because there's power in number. There's power in unity. Amen. Come on. Anywhere there's relational division, say it with me. Anywhere. Ready? Well, grab your chair. This is going to come right up into the driveway for some of us. Anywhere there is relational division, the devil is there somewhere. The key is to identify him, bring the spirit, bring humility, and execute him. So next slide. Last slide. That's the last slide? Really? All right. I just talked myself right out of my message right there. I had so much content, I had to cut this down, like, big time. Jesus, if put you in relationship with someone, we should never allow anyone to talk us out of it. We're going to celebrate something here called communion. This is what the kingdom is. The word communion means common union. We unite. 
Is the word division anywhere in that? So if we understand that the kingdom of heaven is not about division, the kingdom of heaven is about unity. The very essence or one of the center points of our faith or one of the things that we participate in together is something called communion. That we have common union. Common union what? One with the other. Common union how? One with Christ. So communion is of the Lord. I've had people ask me, and it's a great question because it's often misunderstood. We know what communion how to do it, but we don't really understand what it is. Communion is the body of Christ. It's symbolism. It's prophetic symbolism. It's a point of contact, right? It's a physical demonstration or a physical connection point of what Jesus has done for us spiritually. And on the last day of the feast, he had a dinner, or on the first day of the feast, he had a dinner with his, with his disciples. Jesus had a dinner party, last supper, and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. He said, every time you do this, remember me. And then he took a cup and he lifted it up and there was wine in the feast. And he said, this cup, this cup right here symbolizes my blood, which I'm going to pour out for you. Every time you do it, remember me. And the idea was to remember that what Jesus has done for us is no small thing. To remember that what he has given to us is no small thing. And that we should value all his sacrifice, and we should remember his sacrifice, and we should also understand that he has done this sacrifice to make us one and to bring us into communion with one another and with the Lord. So I'm going to pray. Jody's going to play, pray, play. I'm going to pray. She's going to play. And as, as she, after I pray, if you guys would just make your way around and just grab the cracker, uh, the little cracker in the, the, the juice, and bring it back to your seat and just hold on to it, uh, we're going to take it together. And just hold on to it, and we'll take it all together. So let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord. We remember, we remember, we remember, we remember. Lord, we bless this time. I bless these people. I bless these elements, Lord. We honor you with this time of communion. And we thank you, Lord. And we sanctify it as holy in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys would make your way around and just bring it back to your seat, and we'll take it together.
Let's hold it up together.